You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We're reading from Psalms, Psalm 37, verse 10 and 11. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Gospel reading is Matthew 5, 5. You can find it on page 809 of your Bible. And just as a reminder, if you don't have a Bible, please take one of these home as a gift from us to you. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, Lord Christ. Amen. Let's be seated. Once more, good morning, church. Good morning to you all. For those of you who are new, welcome to Redeemer. If we haven't met, my name is Dan. Um, I would love to meet you after the service, if you like. Um, I'm really grateful to serve here as a pastor. I was talking to somebody after uh, one of the services, and they were commenting about how one of the things they liked about our church was that the readings were so short. And uh, I had to like break the news to them. I was like, that's actually just the sermon series we're doing right now. Just wait till like later in the fall. The readings will get super long. It's going to be awesome. Um, So friends, we are in the midst of a sermon series on the Beatitudes of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're calling this series Paradox Manifesto. And it's because these Beatitudes are these like short, punchy, easy to memorize axioms that Jesus uses to open his most famous teaching, his Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know about y'all, but I think we tend to like our sermons to open with witty anecdotes before we get to the serious stuff. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus would be a disappointing preacher. He just like opens up and goes for it. So the opening uh, salvo of the, of the Sermon on the Mount is this like shot across the bow to the entire system of the world. Jesus begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the paradox of poverty. Then he follows it up with, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's the paradox of grief. And then today, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The paradox of gentleness, of gentleness. Uh, let's say a prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Unlike the poor in spirit and unlike those who mourn, Meekness is not a condition that life thrusts upon you. Like you can be poor against your will. You can be grief stricken against your will, but you can't be meek against your will. Uh, Meekness is a virtue that is cultivated. Meekness is something that you can choose. Meekness is something that you can grow intentionally. It's also something you can reject, 
right? So as we talk about this paradox of gentleness, we're just going to have a couple questions that kind of frame, frame our time. Uh, and if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes, these are, this is kind of your structure here, okay? So question number one, what does it mean to be meek? Question number two, what are the alternatives to being meek? Question number three, what is the source of meekness? And then question number four, how does meekness grow? Okay, so once more, what is meekness? What are its alternatives? What's its source? And then how does it grow? So first, what does it mean to be meek? Um, I don't know about you, but uh, like no one is excited to hear a sermon on meekness. Like you, I know for sure you did not wake up this morning and think, oh, yes, this is meek week, right? Like, here we go. I'm, I'm pumped. Um, when we hear the word meek, the words that tend to come to mind are words like weak or frail or passive. Um, but that's really a, a misunderstanding, and I wish we had a better English word for it. The, the, the Greek word here that Jesus would have used is this word praus, and, and here's what it means, and this is actually worth kind of writing down, okay? Here's the definition. Exercising power while avoiding harshness. That's the functional definition of what it means to be meek. Exercising power while avoiding harshness. Uh, this, this word, um, in the minds of a first century listener, when they hear this word praus that we know is meek, a first century listener in, in the Mediterranean would immediately think of a wild animal that has been tamed to the point that it will allow itself to kind of be used. So um, one of our family's uh, favorite movies is this old Francis Ford Coppola classic called The Black Stallion. Some of you might have seen it. And uh, in it, there's this like really beautifully, like artfully filmed scene where this wild horse allows for the very first time a little boy to climb onto his back and away they ride off like down the beach on this deserted island. And it's that moment where like the wildness and the strength and the violence of this like enormously strong creature comes under control and allows like someone else to, to, to ride. That, that's meekness right there. It's not, it's not passivity. It's not weakness. It's actually strength under control. Um, if you need a different example, if you're not a horse person, uh, then you might think of something like a black belt in karate that never loses her temper or never loses his temper, right? Like strength under control. It's inner security and confidence combined with like this outer deference to other people. It's inner courage and fearlessness combined with outer patience. It's strong as steel on the inside and like soft as alpaca on the outside. Um, there's an image, so our, our, your church staff actually talks about this paradox, this dynamic pretty frequently. And so around the staff table, one of the images that we've used is that of a velvet brick. Like, it's a brick, it's heavy, it's firm, it's hard. If you just got hit with it, it would hurt. Ah, but it's wrapped in, in like crushed velour. It's wrapped in velvet. It's soft to the touch. And that's the kind of posture we want to have as servants of the church. We want to be strong and sure, solid in our convictions, right? Not weak on the inside. And yet we want to be gentle and soft on the outside. Um, if you need an example of what this might look like in action, Back in February of 1994, Mother Teresa stood before President Bill Clinton and Vice President Al Gore at the National Prayer Breakfast, along with about 4,000 other folks. And at the time, um, she was 84 years old. She um, was, at this point, not in great health. Her back was bent with age and hard work, and she stood less than five feet tall, 4'10", 4'11", very small person. 
She had no office, no political power, no army, no navy, no air force at her disposal. And she got up and stood before the most powerful man in the world. And she spoke out against the violence and the murder and the general kind of lack and lack of love that she saw in the United States of America. And there were, I, I know people that were in attendance that day and they have reported that in that moment, she was a giant and everybody else just kind of looked small. That's meekness. Meekness is required for any healthy relationship. If you're the kind of person that like generally struggles to have healthy relationships with other people, uh, I'm not trying to be you know, harsh with you here. That would not fit with the sermon. But a lack of meekness, nine times out of 10, is probably the, the issue. Meekness is required for, let's just like think about some relationships. Meekness is required for a healthy marriage. A strong inner confidence and sense of identity from which you then can offer yourself in love to your spouse. Husbands, if I can just talk to you for a moment. Husbands, do you want your wife to respect you? Then serve from a place of quiet strength. Be 100% secure in who you are and then be tender in the way that you interact with her. Wives, do you want your husbands to love you? Of course you do. Be confident in who you are as a woman, absolutely secure and sure in who you are as a woman, and then yet kind and gentle on the outside. Meekness is required for any healthy marriage. You know, it's also required for good parenting. A good parent has a strong, confident understanding of how a child ought to behave. A good parent isn't like unsure of what they're trying to teach their kid. (laughs) And if you want your children to not only obey you now, but love and respect you in your adult years, then that surety and confidence you have about your kid's behavior is gonna have to be wrapped in a gentle approach. It's gonna have to be. Because listen, as a parent, you can steamroll your kids. You can frighten and threaten them into obedience when they're little, but they will hate you for it when they're older. A meek parent may just get to enjoy that wonderful privilege of being adult friends with their kids later in life. Meekness is required for a good marriage, is required for good parenting. It's also required to be a good boss. Clear, confident, bold leadership, but then a gentle and humble approach in the way you interact with your employees. It's also required to be a good employee. Like not everybody's the boss, we know that. Robust work ethic, strength of commitment, but then gentle with customers and with fellow coworkers. Meekness is required for any healthy relationship. And the text says, blessed are the meek. And so it's worth asking why. Why are they blessed? And then the text goes on to say, well, because they will inherit the earth. So why will the meek inherit the earth? As I was studying earlier this week, I came across one theologian who jokingly kind of put it this way. He said, well, the meek inherit the earth because they're the ones who wait patiently while everybody else kind of kill each other off. So they're just the only ones left standing. That's why the meek get the earth. And I think there might be something there, but the meaning is deeper than that. Remember, the meek are those who don't take by force. They're the ones who don't conquer. And who did Jesus say this to? Let's like go back to that first century context. Jesus is speaking to Jewish men and women who are living in the first century under whose rule? Roman rule. Who were the Romans? They conquered the earth. Who rules the earth in the first century? The Roman Empire does. If you've ever uh, thought to yourself or said out loud or heard someone else say out loud, you know, Jesus never got political. Yeah, right. This is a very politically subversive statement. 
the meek shall inherit the earth. Try saying that to a Roman centurion and he'll tell you what's up. Many of the Jews at this time in history wanted to raise up a Jewish army to take back their land. And Jesus is saying to them in this beatitude, no, you don't have to fight for the land. God is gonna give it to the meek. And so it's not a stretch at all for a pastor to say to followers of Jesus today, living in the great empire of the United States of America, the empire that has conquered this part of the world, at least, you don't have to fight back. You don't need to conquer this country. You don't have to conquer the city. You don't need to, quote, take the city for Jesus. No, the meek will inherit the earth. Your neighbor is not someone that you need to conquer. The meek are content to receive this life and this earth as a gift, as an inheritance, as an inheritance, not a salary or a bonus or spoils of war or a prize, but an inheritance. What do you do with an inheritance? You just receive it. That's it. Full stop. The meek inherit because they live in a posture of humble reception. The meek are grateful, and so the meek are the ones that receive. Now, if that's what meekness is, what are the alternatives? Okay? Because odds are, well, maybe. I'm going to go ahead and go for it. Odds are you have not been accused of meekness lately, right? I haven't either. Join the club. The posture and virtue of meekness, let's be honest together, is not valued here in this country. Like, there are many American virtues. Meekness is not one of them. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut uh, wrote in his book, A Man Without a Country, he, he kind of put it this way. He said, for some reason, most vocal American Christians never mention the Beatitudes, but often they demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. And of course, that's Moses, not Jesus. I haven't heard one of them demand that the Beatitudes be posted anywhere. Can you imagine? Blessed are the merciful in a courtroom. Blessed are the peacemakers in the Pentagon. Give me a break. Now, before you think I've kind of taken a step too far here, listen, he's trying to be funny. And of course, um, we could recognize that he is incorrect in drawing this line between Moses and Jesus. You don't have to do that. The Bible doesn't do it. But buried in his sarcasm lies a really interesting point. Why don't Americans like the Beatitudes? Why don't Americans like meekness? You know, there are really two alternatives to meekness, and most of us tend to lean towards one or the other. And that this won't surprise you. You probably already have guessed where this is going. The two alternatives would be passivity on one hand or aggression on the other. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, well, neither of those really describe me. Do you know what that makes you? Passive-aggressive. Congratulations. That's the worst one. Nobody likes you. <laughs> Okay, I'm being mean. Let's stop. Um, let's, 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 let's think about passivity for a moment. To be passive is to be too flexible. You don't really have a backbone. People use you. People take advantage of you. And you might be this way because you've come to believe that the Christian faith actually requires this of you. That to somehow be submissive in the Christian sense of the word means to be passive and to let people do whatever they want to you. And in many places, that's the message to women. That a virtuous woman is a passive woman. Sisters, that is not true. And the Bible does not teach that. You know, in many places, increasingly, that's the message to men as well. That if you're passive as a man, then that way you avoid being accused of toxic masculinity. And so in order to be a good man, you must be a passive man. Brothers, that is not true. The Bible does not teach this. 
If you're passive, you can't be accused of being mean or violent or harmful. You're nice. And the price of your niceness is that people treat you like you don't really have that much value. And the pain and hurt of that builds and builds and it eats away at your sense of identity. Eventually, you lose your sense of self. You don't know who you are. And all you do is respond to what other people want you to be. Now, on the other side of the coin is the aggressive posture. You kind of, you don't avoid conflict. You kind of go after it. You can sense when someone's not on the same page with you and you can't tolerate that itch. You have to scratch it. You're too inflexible, no softness, no give. And you're kind of proud of this. Like you love saying things like, I never compromise. Vince Lombardi once said, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And then another coach piled on top of that and said, winning is the most important thing in my life after breathing. First breathing, then winning, right? This approach to life is one of conquest. Like you get out of bed in the morning and you go out to conquer the world. And you might do this in big infamous ways like Napoleon or Alexander the Great, but more likely you just kind of do it in small ways. And I said this in the first service and it might be a little bit too savage, but just, you know, kind of give me some rope here. If, if you haven't conquered your world like Napoleon or Alexander the Great, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not aggressive. It might just mean you're just not as talented as them, right? Like <laughs> the reason why, those, why certain people have like imposed their rule on the world is that horrible combination of brilliance and aggression. Sometimes, maybe your kingdom is as small as your cubicle, but you rule that little land with an iron fist. You might, and you know what, as, even as I'm talking about this, I realize you might not be the kind of person who's naturally drawn towards aggression. You might've been taught it. Somewhere along the way, life may have taught you that this is the posture you needed to take in order for life to work. And this happens especially in the marketplace when you find yourself saying things like, that's just how the game is played to justify misleading clients or deceiving shareholders. In many places, the message to men is that real masculinity is aggressive and you must demonstrate your strength by overpowering others. Then they'll respect you because they'll fear you. And in many places, increasingly so in recent years, that's the message to women as well, that you must demonstrate that you are equal or superior in your aggression over men in order to compete, right? Like where do we get slogans like, I am woman, hear me roar. If you're aggressive, you know what you can never be accused of? Can't be accused of being weak, right? Some people might not like you, but they will respect you and they may fear you. And eventually, as life goes on, the number of people that you can trust grows smaller and smaller because you see, if you dominate somebody, you'll never trust that person. And, ev and eventually you begin to see every relationship in your life through the lens of a power play, right? and you always can sense who in the relationship has the upper hand. Power becomes the lens through which you understand all of your relationships. And eventually, in the long run, you lose your sense of self, no longer knowing who you are, apart from the fact that you're better or stronger than others. And in the end, you realize that, you know what? Nobody actually loves you or values you. You have admirers, you have fans, and then you have people who obey you and who serve you, but no real relationships. You see, the problem is that both passivity and aggression terminate in the same dead end, a loss of identity. 
no longer being sure of who you are. You took very different routes to get there, but you ended the same place. And the problem with meekness in this whole conversation is, listen, here in this country, it's just not very practical. America is for winners and for conquerors. America is also for nice people. That's a decent strategy. It works for a lot of folks. America is for Elon Musk and for Jeff Bezos. This land is conquered and colonized land. And yet, if you're really thinking about this, without meekness, you won't have any real relationships. So what do you do when, what, when you feel like you have to take on this posture to make life work? And yet, if you do that, it will destroy all of your relationships. How do you, what do you do then? How do you go forward? Either you'll be passive and you'll get run over by your boyfriend, girlfriend, or your spouse, or your kids, or you'll be aggressive and you'll run them over and hurt everybody around you. You'll never be a good boss. Your, empo- your employees, l- listen, <laughs> listen for those of you that have people that report to you. Your employees will likely not disrespect you to your face. They're probably too smart for that. But behind your back, if you're passive, they will mock you. Or they'll resent you for being a bully. And you might not ever know, but it's happening. You've got to have meekness. And yet, society doesn't value it. So how do you get it? How do you get something that nothing in this world is going to give you or form in you? Nothing in this life is going to make you more meek. So what do you do? How do you go? Where do you get it? The place you look is actually inside the heart of Jesus. Do you know that there's only, there's only one place in the entire story of the Bible where Jesus gets vulnerable about his own personality, about what he's like on the inside? And when Jesus does that, do you know what he says? He says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. And that word gentle, you know what word that is? It's prous, it's meek. Jesus says, I'm meek and lowly of heart. If you really want to know my personality, that's who I am. That's what I'm like. Consider both the strength and the gentleness of Jesus, that that paradox of meekness and gentleness in Jesus' own life. Think about the strength of Jesus, allowing himself to be arrested, beaten, mocked, crucified. Jesus goes to the cross willingly. I mean, in many senses, it's like the greatest act of courage that we've ever seen in the human race, the strength of Jesus, the courage of Jesus. And yet, think about the motive. Why did he actually go? Well, not to prove how tough he was, right? Like, there are plenty of people who have died terrible deaths, and they went to that place to kind of show that they could handle it, that they weren't afraid, to prove to the world they weren't afraid. And that's not what Jesus does. Jesus goes to the cross. Why? Out of love, out of affection. It's love that drives him there. So you see, do you see it? You've got strength and gentleness at the very same time. Jesus goes to the cross like a lamb. And then in the resurrection, he comes out of the grave like a lion. And it's so fascinating to me that the Bible uses those two word pictures to describe Jesus, the lamb and the lion, because they don't go together at all. What a, par- what a, what a metaphorical paradox you've got there, a lion and a lamb, both gentleness and strength in the very same person. And at this point, some of you are thinking, 
I, I can tell where you're going, pastor. You're, you're telling us that Jesus is a good role model and that if we want to be meek, we should kind of be meek like Jesus. And you might be thinking like, well, that's great for Jesus. And I, I'm sure, I mean, honestly, you've got me there. I'm sure he's an incredible role model. I mean, after all, Dion Sanders said in a recent interview that Jesus is the best role model. So sure, I guess we're just agreeing with Dion, who I'm not sure could be accused of meekness. But anyway, that's a different one. If, but at this point, you might be thinking, look, even if I wanted to be meek, and even if I wanted Jesus to be my role model, I just don't even think I could do it. I mean, if you understood what my parents were like, you'd understand why I'm so aggressive. If you knew what my husband was like, you'd understand why I'm so passive. Like, I've been this way for way too long. You, I can't change this about myself. What you're describing is like, is like a personality transplant. You know what God says to you? God says, I know, I know. We're talking about a personality transplant. You know, uh, through the prophet Ezekiel, God says to his people, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. You got to understand this. We are not talking about Jesus as a role model and you trying harder to be meek. The action item here is not to go into your little daily planner and put at the number one priority for the day, like be more meek. Dan said so. <laughs> Stop. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a transformation about the deepest part of your person. You see, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is somebody who has had something of an organ, a spiritual organ transplant happen within them, where their old heart has been removed and the heart of Jesus, the heart that Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly of heart, I am meek, has been put inside of you. And the heart of Jesus's love makes you strong. And it's a heart that makes you strong on the inside. It's this sense of complete confidence and security and courage and fear, fearlessness. I mean, the spirit of the line of Judah lives inside of you. But then it also makes you soft on the outside. No more, you don't have anything to prove anymore. Nothing to brag about, no need to take anything from other people, no need to conquer. You don't have to mark your territory. The spirit of the lamb that was slain lives inside of you. Now you've got the lion and the lamb inside of you. The paradox lives within you there. And you know what it turns you into? It, it turns you into a velvet brick. You're so strong on the inside, and yet you're so gentle on the outside. The paradoxical logic of Jesus is that it's the gentle, meek people that end up getting all the land they didn't conquer. <laughs> and that paradox likely made no sense to Jews in the first century living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And you know what? For a lot of Americans, it doesn't make any sense either. Because what you're saying to people is, the real way to get ahead is to trust God and no longer try to get ahead. <laughs> and to Americans, this is illogical. It makes no sense. But that's the paradox of gentleness. It's the gentle and meek people that end up getting all the land they didn't conquer. They're the ones that inherit the earth. In order to understand the incredible promise that Jesus is putting out before you, you've got to understand that Jesus is tipping his hat to the year of Jubilee, inheriting the earth, the renewal of all things, the new creation. Earlier in the gospel accounts in Luke chapter four, Jesus comes to his hometown in Nazareth, and he takes out the scroll of the Old Testament prophet Elijah and he picks a very special passage and he reads it out loud. And it goes like this. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, and then here's the kicker, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the year of Jubilee. And for anybody who's part of the people of God at this part of, in this time in history, you know what that means for them? It's the year when everybody gets the land back. This is an agricultural society, and the economics of, of God's people went something like this. Uh, every 49 years, there's a reset button on the entire economy, and the economy is tied to the land. It's farmland. And so every 49 years, the year of Jubilee is proclaimed, and everybody who has lost what their family used to have gets everything back again. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and he declares that the year of Jubilee is here. Now, for Jews living under Roman Empire, what would they think about that? They would hear that and they would go, what are you talking about? Rome is not going to respect the year of Jubilee, right? That's our economy. That's not Rome's economy, right? And for us living today, we might feel the very same tension. Like, okay, preacher man, you can talk about the year of Jubilee all you, all you want, but like the United States of America does not respect the year of Jubilee, Okay. This is where you live in the paradox. This is where you live in this tension between what has already been proclaimed and declared in Jesus and what has not yet fully arrived. Listen if you can. Meekness promises more than healthy relationships in this life. It promises an eternity of ruling and reigning with, in power in God's kingdom forever. And so if you are the kind of person who leans a little bit more to the aggressive side, who has that desire to kind of dominate and rule and you know, kind of have that, that place of majesty over your home and your neighborhood and your city. And listen, please do not feel shamed at all. That instinct you have to be in charge is not in itself a bad instinct. You were made to bear the image of the king and to dwell on this earth as his representative, as his king or queen under the emperor. And so you see, meekness is not totally giving up on the desire for greatness or dominion, but rather it's reorienting your life around your Lord and then waiting for his kingdom to arrive. And you must not give in, aggressive friends, to the temptation to seize the crown now in this life. You must wait for the king to place the crown on your head. You must wait for your inheritance and resist the temptation to seize it early. You know, Jesus told a parable about this, about somebody who wanted their inheritance a little bit early. Some of you might remember the parable of the prodigal son. It's a different way to understand that parable. It's a story of somebody who did not want to wait for their inheritance, right? No meekness. This is why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So, friends, let's summarize where we've been. What is meekness? What are the alternatives? What is, what's its source? Where does it come from? We've talked about the lowly and gentle heart of Jesus, not just as a role model, but as an organ transplant, the heart of Jesus that comes to dwell within you. Now, this is very important, and the sermon is not complete unless we make a pivot here. How does it grow? Because listen, if you can, meekness is not a doctrine that you believe. It's a way of being. It's a way of living. It's a way of inhabiting the world. Meekness has to be embodied, otherwise it's not real. A new heart of meekness is the gift of the gospel. Meekness is free. Anybody can have it. Jesus will give it to you. 
But there's also a long road of formation that happens once you receive that free gift of the gospel. If you know anything about organ transplants, you know that there's the operation and then there's what? Rehab, right? Both are required in order to make the body healthy again. There's a long road to rehabilitation as your body gets used to a new organ. Meekness flows out of that new heart, that new identity that is given to you. Only somebody who's absolutely sure of their new identity in Jesus as a beloved child of God can be strong enough on the inside to weather all the abuse and hardships of this world on the outside with gentleness. So practicing meekness is something of an identity practice. Where do you start? Okay, let's get real practical as we conclude. Here's where you start. You might start by taking an inventory of all the factors in life that have led you towards passivity or aggression. Like, why are you the way you are? That's a question worth asking. And anybody who knows themselves ought to be able to answer that question. Why am I the way I am? Why are you the way you are? Where did that need to be liked come from? Where did that need to win at all costs come from? And if you are somebody who is exploring the Christian faith and has not yet been baptized, then let's get very, very practical here because baptism for you would absolutely be the next step. Getting baptized is, at a spiritual level, the heart transplant operation. And the rehab can't begin until after the operation has happened. And we're, I'm just going to keep pressing in. We're going to get even more practical here. On Sunday evening, October 8th, we're going to have a baptism class. And if you are the kind of person who has always kind of wondered, like, what exactly happens during baptism, then I would encourage you to come out that evening. We'll meet at the parish house, and we're going to talk about it. I'll be there. It's going to be, it's going to be hopefully a helpful time together. And then that's in anticipation of Baptism Sunday, which this, which this fall is November 5th. And so I, would, I just want to straight up invite you, if you have not been baptized, what a joy and a delight it would be to baptize you on November, on Sunday, November 5th. For you in that moment to have the Lord remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, to have the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus instilled within you as the water touches your face. Now, Many of you, I know, have already been baptized. And so if you've already been baptized, it's a different kind of question. The question is, have you engaged the rehabilitation process? Or did you think that the operation was enough? Has your body rejected the new organ? Do you actually want the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus inside of you? You know, listen, identity is something that is given to us. It's also something that we practice. And you must hold both of those together. You know, if you've been around Redeemer for at least a year or so, you've probably heard us talk about something called gospel formation. And gospel formation is that, is that tension between the free gift of grace that God gives us in Jesus and also our part in responding to it, the whole life that we live in response to what God has done for us. And specifically when it comes to meekness and this new identity in Jesus, we must remember Jesus gives us a new identity. It's a free gift. And yet it's also a practice. It's something we do. Every time you retreat in passivity in the face of somebody else's agenda for you, you are practicing an old identity. Every time you advance aggressively to impose your will on another person, you are practicing an old identity. But every time you, in the face of something difficult, 
are strong and sure and confident in who you are in Jesus, and yet so gentle and kind, even maybe with an enemy in front of you, you are practicing a new identity. You are practicing meekness, the heart of Jesus. You are putting the heart of Jesus in you into practice on the outside. This new identity in Jesus, the meek heart of Christ, is both a gift and a practice. Let's receive the gift and let's practice our new identity in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this free gift of grace. Thank you for putting your heart in us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the presence of mind and the discipline of will in the days ahead to practice this new identity in you, that we could be rightly and fairly accused of being a meek people, which is to say a people after your own heart. Help us, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.